Welcome everyone to HQ and Tafcast uh, in 22 plus up to 60 minutes ish. Uh, first time I'm on this one. A bit different than the Tafcast structure I'm used to. Mainly, it's a bit more open, I guess. Uh, you guys are free to pop all the questions you have under the uh, slash ask command. We have a team uh, reviewing them, looking at them, or just pinging us on them and uh, forwarding them. They're all going to be anonymous, so feel free to ask anything you want. Uh, but today's big topic and, and main topic uh, will be yesterday's announcement, day before yesterday. Correct me if I'm wrong, James. Day before yesterday, I think. Day before yesterday's announcement. The big upcoming structure update. Uh, I'm sure all of you have read it. If you didn't, during this is the time, I guess. We won't really be explaining it or the announcement itself. We'll uh, mostly be going into what is going to change, what we can already say about it, uh, and basically sharing with you what we know about it. I'm joined today by Korean Falcon. James. Oh, yeah. Hello. Carrie. And Mini Lurk. Yo, yo. Radio. I guess we'll just kick it off with the first question. I guess we can. And I guess that's the cue for me to enter the room as well. Um, there's been uh, quite a lot of different questions for this one. Uh, obviously, if you uh, do have any further uh, for the ones listening in, uh, then um, please do send them in. But uh, we'll start off with a question about uh, how field leadership will work. Uh, there was a question here um, stating essentially, in breaking out field leadership from Alcock, does this mean that field leadership tiers are going to be used as skate things instead? Uh, so must tier one uh, relate to field uh, fighting leading, tier two to squad leading, uh, or are tiers in leadership going to be more merit-based and simply time invested? Uh, I, I think, uh, just for clarity, there was some mention about rating and uh, leadership rating. Uh, perhaps, uh, James, you could explain that a bit further and how that is envisioned to work as per uh, current uh, thinking. Yeah, um, it's. I mean, none of this is that new in that respect because I think this is a good... Um, this, the leadership question, and, and to be fair, the mission support question is a good example of um, a testbed for the other tiers 2.0 stuff that we were talking about. Um, so yeah, the question's about leaning into the actual tiers a lot more, and that is probably, or at least with the draft, um, the drafts that we're working on now, that is pretty much down the road that it will go. But if you read the not this update, but the previous update was talking about tiers 2.0, one of the things I was saying in there is that we'll start enforcing actually some of the other prerequisites that are listed on on tiers, and you'll know from the previous update that we were also talking about tier uh, decay as well. So it might be that you're, as you point out, that um, you know squad leader could be tier three, for example. But rather than just having hours requirement, it will have uh, other requirements. So, for example, one of the things that we look for for squad leaders is experience fire team leading. So it might be that one of the prerequisites for tier three fellowship is X deployments or X hours as a fire team leader or some, something in that vein, basically. And then also, don't forget. Uh, one of the previous updates that we put out just before Christmas when we were talking about splitting field leadership into combat leadership and field leadership. So there will be two different tiers relating to leadership, one based on combat leadership and one based on the slightly more strategic and uh, planning-based field leadership. So, yeah, yes to the question. Perfect. Um, you did mention um, a similar thing uh, with regards to GMs as well. Um, what about instructors and uh, those uh, signs of things? Will those also be uh, more uh, rated in, in certain ways or how will uh, that uh, side of uh, the new structure work? Yeah, so um, if there's a question about how instructors will be verified, that's not really got anything to do with this update in the respect of that that's part of i guess the um, lesson plans stuff i guess what this update did talk about is that the fact that qualifying of instructors would become a delegated um uh 
uh, area of J7, which is training command. Um, I think I did touch on it in there that if, if for example, I'm uh, just looking at who's in the channel, uh, like Ains with cavalry, for example, uh, he, he would be uh, considered, I guess, a subject matter expert in that area. So if he was vetted um, as an instructor on uh, certain lesson plans, then he would be able to uh, vet other instructors, basically. So uh, again, that, that's slightly independent, I guess, of of this update. But that is generally how it work. And then going back to the field leaders and the game masters, the general broad principle to consider for both field leaders and game masters is that the way we rate them now and the way we rate them in the future will be pretty much the same, which is what we do is we do it based off track record. So if a field leader's got a track record of leading 45-man ops successfully and we define what we deem successfully to be, then that's part of the process and the same applies if you like on the field on the uh, mission support side which is you don't you know, start game mastering and then go straight to company sized ops you have a track record and that's where we base those uh, ratings if you like off all right cool sounds good um there's also been a couple of questions about uh, about another part of this structure, that being J2 and dossier reporting. It did mention that that everyone could be able to submit um, observations, but uh, there, there's a question here that asks uh, if it still will only be ORCOC members who actually take actions on, on them, uh, those reports, or if it's just a smaller group who are not necessarily uh, opcock. Uh, yeah, who who takes action on on these things essentially within uh, J two? Yeah, so at the moment, if um, I'll cover a bit more of what you said. So at the moment, if uh, for example, there's a policy violation, there's two reporting methods. There's an observation, as Korean pointed out, which is like a non-action. If if you're not in the OCC, I'll try and explain it briefly. It's like a non-actionable report. So if I see someone, uh, you know doing something they shouldn't do and i don't want to take immediate action i'll make an observation and and what usually happens from a corrections perspective is if there's repeated observations on someone's dossier for the same thing or for a similar thing then a reprimand would come out of that whereas you've got other instances where a report or a reprimand or a praise if it's a good thing because this works both ways observations of really good things like great leadership or whatever um, but at the moment, only uh, members of the organization can submit those reports. And one of the things, as I mentioned in the update, that people kept saying to me was that, you know, um, why, why can't everyone do that? You know, why can't everyone do the submission part? We all do after action reports. And so that's essentially what will change uh, due to the course of this, this um, update. Um, in terms of who actually handles those, it will work a bit differently. So the idea is that we'll we'll crowdsource those observations, those reports a lot more broadly, but but the actual management of them will still only be an administration thing. It's an org COC process. But at the moment, um, the people that handle reports related to your dossier are the people in your troop staff, whereas in this system, it works slightly differently. You still have, um, you know, someone in the org COC that you report to that's on your dossier and, and but you're not part of a troop, so they kind of can advocate for you. But the, the difference is that the main um, processing of, of certainly the more serious reports are, is centralised under this J2 group. And so what we're looking for in there is take, uh, having a look at the current org COC, but also outside of the current org COC, for people that we think are really good at that. And we've got some great examples. And like I say, I don't know if any of you have been on the on the end of the stick of, of a reprimand or whatever, but uh, we've got some really great uh, orgs here. We've had some really great orgs here in the past that really thoroughly go through these sort of things, and it's not the nicest job in the world. So the purpose of J2 is really to, to be that yardstick for um, quality and consistency and making sure that you know things are being done in the right way, um, which is more oversight than we currently have. I'm not saying that we don't have oversight or that, uh, things are being processed wrong in the vast majority of cases things are absolutely fine but um, if we want to improve the trust of that system so that people when they report something know that it's been handled then we need to have some visibility over that so it won't be the case that 
people outside the organization will be handling those reports that that has always been an administration thing uh, the main difference though i guess will be that depending on the severity of whatever's been reported good or bad um who's dealing with it, it might be different and uh, the, the organizational structure is quite tall at the moment so i i probably see about well i don't see many reports at all because they usually close before they get to me the new structure is a bit flatter so you could expect that I might see more than I do now, as an example. Also, I think it nicely specializes those people that are interested in those areas into their own sort of bracket. And again, as you said, for more consistency and more sort of fairness in handling these reports. Uh, sort of a follow-up question on that one. I see a sort of notable exemption being made to that or addition being made to that in J1 uh, with a subheader called recruit administration, can you talk something about that? Yeah, I'm. I haven't been a recruit actually ever in UNICEF, but uh, my closest time to it was about four years ago. So I rely on on the on the newer people to tell me um, how that is as a process. Obviously, we've spent a lot of time working on the the sort of new recruit experience back in yonks ago when we only had one troop at one point we had a section in the in the org coc that was specifically for recruits so they would um join unitaf and rather than being in a troop which i know most of you probably join while well, we had multiple troops so it's maybe a little bit harder to to explain but they're they're sort of mixed in within the org coc and as an administration we've discussed it over the years about the pros and cons because the pros are that by spreading them out over all the troops it's less workload because it's accepted fact that recruits take more administration time than generally most other regulars with a few exceptions without saying any more than that um so, so the idea by spreading that is that it spreads the workload but we also recognize it's a special set of skills right like recruits are new to unitaf so they need a lot more help so by bringing them all under one group makes sense right because they're there are people in this channel and people that have spoke to me and work in J1 already that just like the recruitment process or helping new people or intakes. And so it's, again, the whole philosophy of this update is about taking the people that, that enjoy that part of it, saying you can do just that thing. You know, you don't have to do the other stuff. You can do just that thing. So the main difference being that, yeah, in, in this structure, as Zuka points out, J1 does all of the administration for, for recruits, which is about there's about 30 recruits at the moment 27 i think it is um whereas there's about uh, 120 regulars so that will be the distribution in personnel command between what the ncos in j1 are dealing with versus the ones in in j2 but it may be that the reporting feature that i was talking about before this advocacy thing that it may be that we change it slightly so that recruits can be attached not to an nco but to a regular so like if you're a specialist or a PFC and you want to help new people that we can attach them to you as a reports to, but like you'll have a section commander now, not to do everything that section commanders do now, because that is what J1 primarily is there to do, but to do parts of it, um, the bits that are green on the, on the chart. Um, but yeah, the hope there is because recruits are a bit different. The way we handle reports for recruits is different because they're still probationary members. So if, they don't get as much rope to hang themselves as, as a regular member would um, because, um, yeah, you're not really allowed to get any major policy violations while, you, while you're a recruit. So it's a, it's a slightly different process and hopefully that will bring a few efficiencies specifically, I would hope, with recruit retention because we've been getting some great recruits in recently. Also, just as a sort of uh, disclaimer on we keep saying reports, these don't always have to be negative. Uh, these can be basically everything from simple things like tracking medals uh, or observations being made and then put, being put on a dossier and whatever. They don't always have to be a reprimand or a praise. They can also be sort of uh, service-related things or how many hours you've spent, things like that. <clears throat> so they're not always negative. Uh, so don't think of, of J, uh, J2 as just purely the reprimand handler uh judge jury and executioner so to say uh, yeah the other thing the other thing i'd add about the troop element which i didn't really touch on i think i touched on in the update is 
we had four troops at one point. One of the reasons why I brought it back to three, and I'm now removing them com- completely, is you imagine you've got 30 recruits across six sections. So if uh, a recruit goes to their section commander and says, oh, I can't find any slots or, um, you know, there's a problem, we are relying on all six section commanders relaying a similar message to troop commander. And then in an officer meeting, all troop commanders going, oh, yeah, I've got the same problem in my troop. Whereas if all of the recruits are in the same chain, um, what J1 will be able to do is say, listen, listen, what most of the recruits are saying to us is X. This is a problem. What can we do about it? It amplifies that a little bit more so that if there is an issue, we can pick it up quicker. And that applies, to be honest, to the whole organisational structure um, in the in the update. Another question that's sort of in the same vein. Uh, we've talked about reports, uh, but we also have a sort of different system. And it, it's been asked with everyone being able to make observations and, and make reports. Uh, what fears do we have in that regard? We think it's going to be, uh, how do you say it, less, less consistent in, in what is handled as a negative or positive? What, because it's more crowdsourced, is that what? Uh, yeah, basically because it's more people being able to do it. And I've, again, I think important distinction between reports and, and notes uh, if you want to yeah I, I think i touched on it in the update basically what i said is the system at the moment and again it's good that you mentioned it and i'll say it again when we talk about reports and observations i will always tend to lean on the bad ones talk about reprimands and negative reports but it's fair to say that it's about 50 50 across the board like most dossier observations or at least 50 percent of them are x person was doing great at this being really good at instructing helping new people whatever same with the reports uh, but I just tend to use the reprimands as an example because it's easier. Um, but at the moment, if a report is filed, um, because it has to come from the OCC, it's kind of deemed to be factual from it, the point of submission, which is why if you've ever got a no-show, for example, so you've not communicated to the field leader before the official starts of an op that you're not going, you get the message from Unibot to say you've not turned up, this is going to result in a, in a no-show, and then you get a reprimand. And the fatigue for that applies immediately. For, for a no-show, I mean, that's probably fine, right? Because you're not there, and if you were there, it wouldn't have been filed. But if it was a different type of reprimand, like a policy, a serious policy violation, it's deemed to have been... The punishment is issued at the point of the report being raised rather than after its resolution. So by flipping it on its head, to Zuka's point, it's not like we're going to collect observations from people and then they're going to be burnt into someone's dossier as fact. I mean, it, it's more of a a bit like the reputation system that we currently have in AARs. The idea is that people have that outlet that's external from an AAR if they've got an issue or they want to, or, or they've found someone to be really good fire team leader or whatever and they want to put a positive note in we can then track that as we do now and investigate those and j2 j1 respectively will convert those um, into respective reports if required if they're not backed up by any sort of evidence or then they obviously can't be acted against because they're not violations unless they're proven to be so i think it's just a slightly different approach um and it's something that people have, you know, it's a bit of a trend in, in the survey that's ongoing as well, um, that people want that ability to do it without having to go to, you know, their section commander as they do now. So I think in summary, we just won't consider them to be factual on submission. Think of it more like a, a report that you put in or a comment that you put in and then somebody on the other end will filter through those. And if... You know, we we find that it's factual. Then we'll burn it into a dossier record as we as we do now. All right, there are a couple more questions on this particular topic. Uh, one of them is uh, with regards to uh, notes and observations. Uh, there might be a lot of different notes saying the same thing. Um, such as this person is a good FDL or this person needs to improve uh, this and that or uh, something along those lines. Would it be possible to merge reports that are very similar in nature at some point or is that not something that will be included in 
least in the first iteration of this uh, new system. Oh, I feel like Korean has just snuck that question because that's something he wants and it's not not something that someone <laughs> submitted. Uh, sure, I mean, we can put that on the feature list. Um, yeah, I, I think, I mean, for the people listening, I mean, that's typically how observations work, right? They're not acting out. Um, a good example is a couple of the medals that go out for like really great after action reports. People, uh, NCOs, sorry, will put in like positive, positive observations on someone does this. So, and this, you know, this person writes amazing after action reports is always really positive and constructive. And as soon as you see four, five, six observations from completely separate people um, over a spread of a period of time, that becomes, you know, weight, doesn't it, at the end of the day? Um, and that's a similar system to which. Uh, opening that tool up to, to the full task force would achieve, I would imagine. So I don't know if merging them is a good idea because then you don't know where that's the source of that information is, but I can see the angle of the question, which is uh, to better like aggregate the meaning of, of multiple uh, observations, basically. Put a service star on it. Sure. <laughs> Um, a, a different question on the um, topic of observations. Um, will ORCOG members be able to remove a note from someone's dossier if that report uh, or observation rather is, is uh, deemed untrue, misleading or, or just wrong in, in, uh, in any particular way? Yeah, I think, I think, again, to go back to how it is now, if an observation is made on a dossier, it can't be removed, it can only be archived. Um, going forward, it, as I said before, uh, an observation coming in goes into an inbox, and it's not necessarily considered an, you know, an active report or an active observation until somebody decides that it should be. So I think it's just a slightly different way of of handling it, and that process is going to be handled hybridly, really, for the for the medium term between the um, OCOC persons that that person reports to directly outside of the troop system which wouldn't exist and j2 or j1 depending on whether that person was uh, in their probationary period or outside of it all right um there's a uh, another question with regards to reports uh, would it be possible to see reports on your own dossier say if you're uh, you have a rep uh, reprimand or something along those lines currently it's not possible to see the reports um, that is put on you on yourself uh, would that be possible in the future or is that something we're not considering at this time no I think that's probably that's probably right that's in 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 line with the direction of travel you would have noticed anyone that's been here sort of 12 months or more the amount of stuff that's in your account now things like after actual reports you've submitted since you joined so adding the fact that a, a report exists is not a great stretch and it's something that we will do at a certain point. Um, but again, we'll be careful about the data of that because we want to protect the submitters. We don't want necessarily to for people to have to wake up one day and then go and read a traipse or a report because reports you know, take a while to get processed and things. So, so know that they exist, yes. Um, see aggregated days are yes but probably not be able to do have a field day on on what everyone's wrote in because that again a bit like after action reports the kind of point of it is that we get the message without dwelling on it completely you know we have now touched a, a bit on on different systems that uh, that need some uh changes as it were um whether that be access or just uh, just uh quality of life changes to ensure that it works properly. Um, do we already have the backend systems to support that uh, and those changes that are required? Or is there a lot of development that is still required before we get that far? Yeah, so it's a bit of a hybrid, really. So I, I don't really think anything that we're doing is n like considered new. The update really is about who does what rather than rather than the what um so in a lot of instances if you take say j5 for example the primary uh the primary role of j5 is is management of loadouts and obviously the system exists the ability to put change requests in exists 
um, and the ability to approve or deny a load out exists. It's the permission, uh, it's the persons associated with that permission, which is currently a command unit level um that we will apply to j5 so i mean a lot in a lot of areas these are relatively minor changes um there are j2 personnel command the sort of troop system there's a little bit of work there just just to pull it out but it's it's not really that substantial and to be honest the other two points i was going to make is that um what we were talking about before christmas and even for the whole of quarter four last year was the approval system and this update isn't really separate to anything else on the roadmap. I mean, if anything, this update has come out of the approval system update. So the work that we've been doing on that, combined with the fact that this structure that we sort of announced this week, some work was done on that, you know, 16, 15 months ago for something similar. So it's kind of a hodgepodge of easy changes to current systems, systems that were built in the past for 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 this that got shelved and um the fact that um you know most of the work is just in refig reconfiguring the troops but the same principle i mean still applies um you still have a direct reports to so that system remains um, and it works the same way and the troop in a way still exists it's just that the troop is j2 or j1 um it doesn't really exist but i'm, I'm talking from a software perspective um, there's not really much change in the code because the fundamentals are the same. It's just the who and the what are different. Sort of going into the next question we've received, uh, who even is working on the sort of backend side of things and who will be taking it after its implement uh, implementation? Will there be a dedicated sort of not really listed J-group for it or will it all be sort of on a, on a small circle basis. Do, sorry, doing what, sorry? The website development, framework development, and maintenance mostly. Yeah, so it's, somebody asked a similar question in the Orcs um, All Hands. So, I mean, this, the structure that was in my update is a bit like the troop system is designed to be flexible, right? So a bit like how we went from one troop to two troop to three troop to four troop then back to three troop again this system is based on our current needs and at will if we feel we want to add another j group add another command unit remove one add more people to one remove, we can kind of do that there are a couple of things as you can mention like development framework development and probably communications which i would say are three distinctly different disciplines um that don't appear on there i mean there is um the, the version of the update that we shared um two days ago is not the full detail it's probably about 10 percent of the overall detail that we shared with the org coc or that we've got to this stage at um but it will probably those three things will probably form part of maybe not even a j group but a body that's considered cco central command office that, that reports directly into into us rather than through a, a separate command because communications and development are sort of some of the core things that, that you know i work on and it's also a very small group of people at this point and the security concerns alongside predominantly the information side of of uh, development but that doesn't really affect the framework which you know is something that we you know we can bring people on so i think it will depend on the people and if we end up having a big enough group of people in those groups we may then establish them as j groups under service command or maybe we'll add another command but at the moment we don't have enough people in those areas to warrant having a completely separate uh, area for them that makes uh, perfect sense. Um, in regards to the development, it, it is, was sort of a yes-no uh, answer in terms of whether we had all the systems available. Uh, but um, there is some work that needs to be done, and how would that impact other uh, uh, roadmap um, uh, targets and, and stuff? That is, a, is there anything that would be significantly third whilst we're making the transformation into this new structure or will everything else uh, move as uh, intended going forwards 
well i think we've been very careful to not put dates on anything so i don't think we can uh, miss a deadline when we've not set one but <laughs> which is uh, one way of looking at it but the the, the number one roadmap item from the december sit rep is uh, the approval system and this update uh, is part of that so this uh, I tried to sort of explain before. This is not a fork in the road or a or a diversion from the roadmap because this is part of the number one priority, which uh, we talked about in December. Which is essentially, look, we've got our biggest problem is is how do we delegate uh, the approvals systems from from you know many different areas, and if you want to delve into where did this update come from, it's once you've decided you're going to do that as I sort of explain in my update, then you go, well, hang on, the organization is not really structured to work this way. And then you're, you're gonna, we're going to create confusion. So you can kind of follow the logic as to how we've got to this point. And so really, as we've been working on the approval system, which is essentially taking the concept that actually, when you look at this um, graph in this update, all those green things and those yellow things, we have the same problem in every area. And our previous sort of approach to that was to build systems that were independent of one another for each area. Whereas what we said was actually, no, we only need to build one process, which is if something needs to be approved, there's an approver and then there's a level it needs to be approved at. And if we just build one system, one framework for that and integrate it. So it's all part of that same roadmap item. And so the four top priorities that were listed in that December roadmap are the same. This is the first one of them. It's grown a few legs, as most roadmap items do when we actually start working on them. Um, so yeah, I, um, I don't think it's going to delay anything particularly. It's it's part of the of the wider plan, and it's prioritised as number one because if we can do this as we've explained it it will speed up everything else is 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 the theory because it's unlocking uh potential in other areas so to do it last wouldn't make much sense that makes uh, perfect sense at least to me um let's go uh back one step we we've uh, talked a bit about specialization that uh orcock now is a bit more specialized into different areas different ncos would uh have their different areas that they would focus on such as within j1 recruitment they would be laser focused on recruitment whereas uh, uh j4 campaigns would be more focused on uh on campaigns or whatnot what uh, what does what what do these changes mean for this size of orcock will will the uh, organizational coc be roughly the same as it is now or or does that mean that the orcock will become bigger or even smaller than its current uh, size um i think the my my impression of the work that we've done so far is that it will be roughly the same. Um, the decision that I would typically make over the last few years about do we, in, you know, you, you would have seen when we put selection notices out for corporals and stuff, the decision is either succession driven. We've got people are retiring out of some position at the top and it creates a ripple effect, so we bring people in, or we're growing the task force size. Well, we've been around 135, 145 rostered for over 18 months now, and that's always been our cap, so we're not growing beyond that point at this particular stage. Um, so typically we'd make those decisions based on whether we needed more in-game leadership or we needed more personnel administration. This structure is focused differently. This structure is focused on progress in different areas. So if personnel command say, look, we need more people here to, to, to process what we do for this amount of people, then we may add more positions in their respective J groups, same as if training command said, you know, actually, we've probably got too many people. There's not enough to go around for everyone. Then we might call a few positions. So it's just designed to be more flexible if we raise the force cap to 200 because we get a load more mission makers and that's makes sense to, to raise the force cap, then evidently the size of the task force will get bigger. I suspect it will probably remain about 20% of the total force, which is roughly what, what the OCAC has been for, for quite some time. All right. Sounds, sounds good. Um, currently in the uh, chain of command, uh, 
they are very clear uh, to IC, so your troop commander has a troop sergeant who can take over if that person is on leave or isn't present for a, uh, any considerable amount of time. The same with sections, with the section commander and the assistant section commander. Will there be... Is it... Th that kind of 2IC uh, second-in-command system uh, intended to be implemented in the new system as well? Or are we thinking about restructuring that a bit and uh, see of uh, if there's any other ways of sorting that out? Yeah, I mean, I'm any, anyone that's heard me drone on about this sort of stuff knows I'm a big fan of the rule of twos. Um, the reason why it's not on every position in this chart. I mean, if you look at J group level, with very few exceptions, J groups have, um, apart from service command, J groups have multiple NCOs, right? So from an IC perspective, um, that can be quite easily established through through either rank or policy or something, something of that nature. Uh, the only noticeable difference is at the officer level, um, where we currently have troop sergeants, as Korean said. And um, again, it will just be something we review over time. Um, Evidently, nobody's going to go on leave during the time that um, this uh, restructure is ongoing. But at some point, an officer will go away on holiday or go on leave or whatever. So that will crop up and we'll either have a way of dealing with that at the time or we'll have two ICs at the command level. But to be honest, it's not like it is now. I mean, if, if that's the case, uh, both those J groups can just go directly to central command in this instance so it's not um it's not as much required as in-game or our current personnel system as as it is in this uh, updated structure there is a question that just came in in terms of ranks currently uh the organizational um chain of commands it, it's 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 uh, very much where you are in the system essentially is based on uh it's not based on your rank but the rank indicates where you are in the system rather um will there be any changes to how ranks work and and in, in that respect or or are we looking at uh, some changes there as well um yeah it's a good question we had uh, we had a good two-hour conversation <laughs> recently um we're not going to change too much about the rank system obviously the for those familiar with the enlisted rank system that will probably remain as it is for some time we did a review of that pretty recently um other than maybe changing some of the requirements for the higher ones which is something i may look at down you know down the road um for the org coc ranks specifically they are billet based so you take on a position of responsibility there are a range of ranks associated with that and that's pretty much the same as as, as how it would work here they'll probably more closely mirror um the enlisted ranks because there are roughly the same number of, uh, of ranks in both uh, categories. But what we'll probably do is add some of the requirements of the enlisted ranks, uh, like timing grades, hours, to the um, to the auxiliary ranks as well at different levels. One of the things that I've um, had as feedback is, yeah, you know, someone might might be a comparative grade in the auxiliary of sp2 but they haven't got the practice hours even for sp2 for example so you'll probably find there's going to be more parity uh, but there'll be a definite distinction between um auxiliary and listed ranks um and we've also looked at um some some ways of denoting through people's ranks slash names where their involvement is so for example you would be able to tell just by looking at me whether i was in j2 or ops command or whatever so that in discord it's much easier for people to see even without looking at the roster who they can go to for certain things and for ops coc again uh we have been looking at that but we probably will lean more into tiers for that than we will anything else um uh, because in that respect it, it's like most other specialisms in game um but what will be useful is once to the very first question someone asked once the tiers in field leadership and combat leadership actually represent the way that we distribute the actual positions right now then having a list of every tier in combat leadership and field leadership and knowing who's at each level will become a very useful thing if you're trying to make a mission or get somebody to platoon lead your op or whatever it might be.
but i think the question in the question the, the person asking it said something like you know can you lead a company as a specialist and the answer to that is probably going to be yes but in my update i did sort of allude to, to the fact that at least initially we're only going to start with squad leaders and we're just sort of giving the indication that we'll probably go the full way um eventually but bear in mind we draw a massive distinction between being a platoon leader and field leading a deployment as a platoon leader because field leading the deployment if you know you can turn up to a company size off and platoon lead that's one thing field leading the deployment from start to finish doing the planning the briefing it's a whole different kettle of fish and we do treat those completely separately which is part of the reason why I've talked about splitting those disciplines into separate separate areas, combat leadership, field leadership. All right, cool. Um, let's move on to discuss a bit about contributions and then how to contribute. There was um, a question initially about uh, whether they had to contribute to a J area or not. I, I believe, through, I hope at least throughout this conversation, that it's become apparent that people don't have to contribute. But obviously, if you want to, that is a great asset uh, to Unitov. And hopefully we'll bring uh, some value uh, to the contributor as well. But um, James, if someone wants to contribute to a particular area of Unitaf, uh, how would they go about doing that? Well, now um, navigate the maze. Um, but part of this part of the structure change is clarity, right? So it's. Again, nothing that I'm saying now should be a replacement for reading the original update because hopefully that answers that question. But it's essentially this becomes immediately apparent if you want to make a campaign, you can go to the people rostered in J4. And the whole point of having people rostered in J4 is that their entire purpose of existence is to help the current campaigns that are running and manage those teams. Um, and get campaigns from a development proposal stage to to a, to an acceptance stage. So if you've got a campaign idea, J4 really should be able to tell you, no, it's a crap idea and it's probably not going to get approved. Or if you really want it to get approved, this is probably what you'll have to do. So it's just meant to be more direct. And at the moment, I would say there's confusion, but most people will do what we drill into them, which is follow the chain of command. So uh, somebody actually said this to me i think in the survey you know I, I had a question about a policy and i went to my section commander and they said they don't know which is i mean a logical response because the section commander might actually be involved in j1 and not j6 but here you've got you know seven eight direct routes into all areas of our core, what i'm calling our core functions so i I think the answer to the question is it should just be more direct and and more straightforward and, and simpler for somebody that's trying to get something very specific done or trying to help very specifically with a specific thing to know who to go to. And actually what this also addresses is exactly what they can help with. Because we've made sort of clear in this process that there's a, a raft of approved activities that exist and anyone can help do those approved activities, obviously with the oversight of the management in those j groups um and and the rest is sort of going to be developed from from there so hopefully it's just going to be easier is is my answer so with the removal of troops how do you see events like for example the unolympics happening are you thinking it's just going to be sort of j group versus j group or will it be uh, more of a sort of randomly bunched up sort of clicks it's funny because that's the first the first question in the org series all hands was yeah. what's going to happen to unilympics and it was the first question i think that was submitted off the back of the uh of the update um i mean look unilympics unilympics was just a bit of fun most people around the time will know that i i don't particularly like the competition element it's not really what we're about but at the same time uh i know everyone enjoyed enjoyed that event uh, those that weren't in, uh, I think, was it two troops that got absolutely smashed or whatever it was? I can't remember. Um, if we do events like that, then we may look at other logical ways of, of doing it. We've got all bats for that purpose. So I guess the most straightforward answer I can give to the question is we didn't consider Unolympics at all in any of this, uh, in any of the decisions that we made regarding this. Um, 
it's essentially a competitive event and if we want to do it we, i guess we've got other frameworks that we could use um to, to put those on <laughs> battle royale between the j groups <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, some other questions in the same ish vein oh there's so many questions but talking about it uh, i'm seeing a lot of the questions you guys have put in have already been answered. So if you have any more, put them in. We're still looking at them. Or feel free to shout out if there's a space. Uh, if you if you don't want to ask it anonymously and you're happy just to blurt out if there's a, a space to do so, then go for it. Uh, bit of a bit of a curveball, but I, I think you've already alluded to it. Uh, time frame for this sort of change to happen. Have we set a a rough goal post? Or uh, is it is it sort of purely dependent on on how much can be worked on it? Uh, well, we we sort of make a typical process f for a change like this would be you know we'd discuss it, we'd roadmap it, then we'd look at it in detail. The problem is, as many of you will know, for some of the larger changes that we've done, is that to get all the ducks lined up means that the updates take longer to go out we made a bit of a well i certainly made a bit of a conscious decision with this that if we're going to do it we're just going to do it it's more of this is more of a psychological change for the organization rather than a uh, rather than a mechanical one and so the the, um, the answer is we're just going to do it and we're expecting us to miss some things like somebody's going to go oh this is no longer working but because the change has already been made, the incentive to fix the things is is much easier. So, um, in terms of a process, as you know, the submission of interest forms have already gone out. So we've had some good response from non-org COC, and part of the process that has been ongoing for most of January is that we've been chatting to the current org COC to say, hey, look, we know this is a bit different from what you signed up for. So, and I think there's something like a ninety ninety-five percent continuance. Um, from applications between the current COC and going on. That doesn't mean that 90% of the current COC are necessarily going to be integrated into this because that's a process that's ongoing. But I'm in the process this week of, essentially I would fill this from the top down, right? You, If you're going to appoint someone at personnel command level, you want them to have some say in what happens at J1 and J2. So I would have thought by the time this week's out, I would have already appointed in in the current coc remains by the way nothing's essentially changing but what you should imagine is in the background we are currently building um what's going to replace it from a people perspective and so by the end of this week i'll probably have all of the command units established and then i'll start working on the j groups and changes may happen between now and then and, and that's again us looking at what the current org coc is saying and also what people have been putting in the submission of interest uh, forms. I'm getting a, <laughs> a few rather uh, philosophical questions <laughs> in here, uh, which I'm, <laughs> which we're not going to address. Uh, oh, why not? Why not PG? Well, uh, well I'd say they're quite PG. Sh should I ask you it? Should I Are they related you? to the update? Uh, no. Okay, well, I'll probably skip this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have a, another question that is pertaining to the MVP system. So, sort of, sort of in the vein, I guess, of, of change of structure. Uh, and that is, rather than having an individual be appointed an MVP, uh, how about our the the question is about appointing a sort of team or a section, a uh, group or by group, whatever, as as the MVPs. The, like an MVP, a most valuable team, rather than. Uh, yes, um, it's an interesting point. So essentially, vote for uh, is the session vote for a call sign that's not your own? Is that? And it's quite an interesting. Probably, because otherwise the biggest one would win or have yeah. a bigger chance of winning. I, I mean, I can see issues with that. Like, if you're on a two-team mission, you can only, can only vote for the other team. Um, but, 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 but in all seriousness, we are looking at the MVP system uh, currently. Um, just more around providing a, 
a reason why you're voting. In the moment, you can just vote for an MVP. It doesn't ask you why you're voting for them, and we're not making any sort of qualitative decision based off that. There are roadmap plans. These are equally important issues, but in the grand scheme of things, things like this are a little bit later down the line. But we are looking at the MVP system in terms of making it more robust, and we want to make sure it's used for genuinely uh, instances of of somebody doing something outstanding or above and beyond what what you know an average person is doing, not just a, a throwaway vote. So there will be some updates to that, but it it will certainly be after some of this stuff that's uh, currently roadmapped. Okay, so sort of throwing the boomerang back to the whole uh, contribution part, we had, as you know, we currently have these sort of uh, submission of interest for different areas of FTXs. Uh, is it possible to sort of flip that on its head and ask everyone or how do I phrase it, sort of indicate which J group needs the most help or could do with a helping hand? You've already said uh, that the sort of group size of of the J groups will be flexible depending on how much work uh, is being done or how much responsibility, how much sort of different tasks they have. Uh, Will there be a a way to uh, look at it and and go like, oh, or have different priorities and and where you could sort of get into contributing. Yeah, it's important to draw a distinction and and hopefully it was clear in my update, but the the difference with the yellow and the green boxes, the OCOC is a management body. It's not not necessarily a do things body. When I put put Korean in, in charge of recruitment, for example, I said to him, the point of of managing a, a process like that is not to do all of the intakes and all the inductions yourself because you're just going to burn out. The point of the role is to enable that area task force wide. And you see, uh, like Milkman, and I, as soon as I start naming names, I'm shooting myself in the foot because I'm not going to mention someone. But the the, the non orcsoc people that are doing the intakes, that are doing the inductions, that are writing the lesson plans, that are writing the SOPs, this is the whole direction of this of this process. The point of the OCOC is that they're there to enable that process and manage it within policy, basically. And so, yes, the J groups may get bigger and smaller depending on requirements, but it's not the workload that dictates the size of how many NCOs are required because they're managing it. And whilst there's an expectation that you're also doing it, you shouldn't just sit there, get everyone else to do it and then not do anything because that's just going to annoy them as well. But the the number of contributors is not going to really impact upon if you've got 50 contributors in j7 you're probably going to need more ncos to to help and facilitate that than you're going to need if you've only got three you know contributors in j1 for example um and i forgot the other part of the question zika uh think of the role or practice preference system oh yeah yeah j groups it's a good one put it in as a suggestion i had that random thought when i was driving the car the other night about when it asks you for your role preferences every month that page would have, as you pointed out, the J groups on it. And, you know, each month as a contributor, you can sort of indicate because part of that process is any of you that have done that submission of interest form, partly we're using that for applications to the OCOC, but partly we're also using that so that when somebody goes and sits their bum in J5 NCOIC, we can give them a list and say, these are all the people that said they're interested in this area. And it's a starting point for, for them reaching out and saying, hey, I heard you wanted to help with this. So it's something we can add to that, as you point out, and I think your idea there is a good one, which is give some some way for the J groups to indicate how much how desperate they are for for contributors, basically. So if if J three really want more GMs, they can say panic button and it'll say urgent <laughs> red or something like that. Yeah, it's not a bad idea. Not taking credit for it. This was a, ca- a question that was submitted. Please don't credit it to me. I would put that in suggestions. That's a good good place to put it. Um, I'd say so as well, yeah. Uh, again, sort of same thing. We've been hitting it off with hitting similar questions uh, other than the few whatever. <laughs> uh, in addition to having a sort of indication form of that, and as you already said, being able to press or turbocharge that, that panic button you said, uh, will there also be different hubs for all of the different J groups where they can uh, do something akin to uh, J6 matchmaking, FTX matchmaking and things like that. And if we implement it, will it be on the Discord or will it more uh, be on the website? 
Yeah, so as I said, the the structure that we announced this week was actually designed initially uh, when the original J groups, not when the J groups were created, but you know when the second roster came in. So we do have a functional like rosters for J groups and like issues, ideas, so like website based. So we do have quite a lot of stuff on that already that that was built, you know, what twelve months ago or something. Um, but it will be a combination of centralizing and standardizing the tools that each j group has website side but also you're probably going to see a lot of structural discord change um so probably you know there's not gonna be loads of new channels but they'll be organized slightly differently at the moment you've got all the j groups together whereas they'll probably be blocked into their respective commands so they'll be in four separate sections based on the fact that they're related in some way so there'll be better permissions distribution for j groups and one of the intermediate sort of tools that we'll have for J groups or for command units is is no you know Discord based notice boards so that we can sort of see how they're using it. Uh and then we'll start to to build on those tools a little bit more. But but essentially at the moment the J groups are so independent of one another until we group them over it's very difficult for us to to deal with ten different bodies or groups of people and bear in mind that j4 is one of those 10 bodies but j4 then has 11 campaign teams underneath it which is a lot of depth to the to the contribution so we just need to make sure that you know we'll the whole point of this update is we we've been using j groups for 12 12 months we've seen the success of it as i said in my update we'll lean fully into that and and the whole point of my update is the fact that the structure of the organization wasn't conducive to it and by extension, the, the the layout of the Discord is not conducive to it either, and the permission system of the Discord is not conducive to it. So you'll just see it more of an alignment between the J groups, the new structure, and all of the tools that we use, uh, so that they can be used more effectively. Uh, Off-topic request from Milkman, and he put it in channel chat, so I'm, I'm allowed to say the name, okay? Yeah. <laughs> he asked for this to be uploaded immediately, so he could listen to it on his drive home. I'm probably going to put my feet up for a bit, so I'll, I may may do it tomorrow, just because he asked nicely. <laughs> we'll continue to, uh, as we're sort of mentioning that update, um, th- there's nothing really structurally changing in this update. It's more about giving you an idea of, you know, these are, are ultimately over the course of years, quite big changes. So it's important that you know about them, but nothing effectively changes out the back of that. And as we start to implement these updates you'll see specific updates go out on each of those items independently alongside other updates that we're working on like lesson plans and things so it you know as those updates come out it may be that you have more questions um but hq in 22 will, will carry on as usual and so as we've always done when sort of regular updates come out as those specific updates come out there'll be an opportunity to to tackle those pete says he's got a question pete says he's got a question is he, he's not in the oh he is in the uh, channel yeah i'm there um so in regards to the whole ftx changes and all that stuff is there any like potential in the future for enabling pvp in certain areas because i know i hosted a, a, a cavalry ftx many moons ago uh, and we threw in some PvP just to like test the guys and girls, and it got relatively good reviews. So I'm just wondering if, in obviously, if we presented it to the FTX guys, if that would be a eligible thing in the future. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so the current training command, if you like, the people that are in charge of training command, uh, even though it's not if you like an official post at the moment, have asked me that exact same question. I don't know if it's because it came out of the FTX you're talking about or not, but we had a conversation at the time and uh, generally our policy is no PVP, but the question was around a specific FTX. In fact, I don't think it's the one you're talking about, but ultimately if we can find a way to do it without PVP, which we did in that case, then we will. What I said to them at the time is if you legitimately have a lesson plan where you're where your central point is, we think there's no other way to train this better than doing a PvP scenario. And, um, you know, there's no other way of doing it better. And it's and the, the downside of the PvP, the competitive element, is not going to override the learning 
outcomes of, of that session and i've told them that, that they can do it but i've left it in their ball court and evidently if one comes up where that's the case they'll come to me with a lesson plan and we'll discuss it again i think one of the examples used was was cqb and my point always been with cqb has been but in in missions you're not playing against players so it's not a like-for-like experience ai are pretty stupid so we train against them because we play against them if we played pvp we'd have to train in pvp because the behavior of the player and the ai is different but that may be different in different in different uh, scenarios like it may be in dogfighting aircraft that it makes sense to do it as pvp but we'll treat each LP as, as separate. There's not necessarily a blanket policy that bans PvP, but we look for very specific applications. Points. Yeah, we're looking for a very specific reason why it needs to be done and then make sure we consider it. Um, like a lot of things that we do, there's like an unwritten rule that no, you can't do it to stop as many people as possible from going, let's, let's do that or just doing it without asking. So it's not a flat out no. Training Command have sort of got a bit of flex in that policy if they feel that a really compelling argument has been put forward. Does it answer your question, Pete? Yes, that does. Thank you very much. Cool. Uh, I think that's it, yeah. See you Thanks, everyone, one. for joining. Thanks, everyone.